What up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Back Office Out Front, the podcast covering the corporate army behind the athlete. I'm your host, Adam Bernstein, and on today's episode, if I'm Judd Osman, the executive producer on Danny Green's Inside the Green Room. What began as an idea between some childhood friends has since expanded into something that is so much more, with Amjad leading the behind-the-scenes charge. From brokering deals with brand-name companies like Yahoo Sports, Spectrum Sportsnet, and Jack in the Box, to handling all communication with high-profile guests and any media inquiries around the show, he certainly has his hands full. And on top of all that, he works on a full-time job as well. On today's episode, we discuss the day-to-day of working alongside an NBA player, how different geographical markets impacted the various aspects of the show, and some noteworthy run-ins with the likes of some of Toronto's finest, such as Kawhi and the Sex God himself. All that and more on this episode of Back Office, Out Front. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Back Office, Out Front. I'm your host, Adam Bernstein, and today we have Abjet Osman from the Danny Green Podcast from Inside the Green Room. How are you today? Hey, Adam. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm pretty, pretty good. Thank you for asking. So I usually like to start off with my guests talking about their time at school, but I'm going to go a bit back uh, with you because I know that you had an awesome journey to get to where you are today, starting from across the world and then moving across to the United States. So could you tell me a bit about where you're from, why you came here and what that kind of transition was like? Yeah, I, um, I was born in Saudi Arabia. Both my parents are from Sudan. And so I'm a Sudanese American, African-American. Um, and my family and I, we came to the United States in 2001, nine days before September 11th, ironically wow. enough. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, we came over here for the pursuit of the American dream. We won what's called the U.S. diversity visa, the, the quote unquote lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what it does is it gives you access to a green card, a permanent resident card, and so that you can come to the United States and build a, a future for yourself and your family. And so I came here in 2001 and it's been, uh, you know, the greatest experience of my life to have had that journey. But I think having had that experience from coming from a you know, developing country, like Sudan coming from a developed country like Saudi Arabia and having those two di- different dynamics in my yeah. life has definitely influenced me a lot. Mm-hmm. And where in the States did you move right off the bat? I came to the U S and I went straight to Ohio. We had a okay. friend of a family friend that was there that helped take care of us there. Yeah. So then that might leads nicely into my next question, which is about your time at school, which I go to Michigan. So it's sadly sort of a sore spot, but you went to the Ohio state university. Can you talk about it a bit? what you did inside and outside of the classroom when you were there? Yeah, you know, I was, I was involved in quite a bit of things at Ohio State. I felt like um, I was fortunate enough to be part of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, so they mm-hmm. paid for my education. Awesome. So I, I had an opportunity to focus on, you know, things at school and things in the classroom and how I can remain involved in my community. And so I was part of the business fraternity called AKSI. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, if you're, if you're familiar with that, I'm a brother for life, so I am part of it. Um, I was also part of the National Association of Black Accountants. Um, I was president of that organization for a little bit, even though I, even though I studied finance. Um, but when I first got to college, I actually was a mechanical engineering major. And I had oh, wow. loved that, that aspect of my learning, edu- learning experience. But I felt that I wanted to, you know, eventually learn how to build businesses and learn how they work and operate. And so I kind of took the shortcut and said, you know, instead of going the engineering route and then going to business, I'll just go to business school and learn mm-hmm. all about that now. And that was through the guidance of some of my mentors. So I did that, but I also uh, played intramural uh, basketball. Like uh, I, I spent a lot of time mentoring a bunch of kids that were in high school uh, in, in my community and helping them you know, write scholarships, apply for colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause all, all those experiences were important to me, but 
I did some other things too, but there, I did so many things. I'm having a hard time remembering yeah. it. <laughs> and we're recording this on the heels of the Big Ten announcing that football is most likely going to be canceled for the season. So I have one year to be put out of my, of my misery of losing to Ohio State in football. I will say that. <laughs> it has not been we'll circumstances recent years. We'll give you a break for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it. And was the media world something that you were interested in during your time at school or was it more the financial focus than you found your way into you know, this side project? I think for me, I'd always had a passion for photography and, and content creation. And so yeah. working, working as a photographer first, uh, you know, I picked up a camera when I was four or five years old, mm-hmm. just kind of interacting with my dad's cameras. And he didn't have that high quality cameras, but they were better than anything I owned, right? Especially right. as a kid. And so I fooled around with those and I became familiar with it. And I started to find a passion for photography, but I had never really used a professional camera. I'd always mm-hmm. use my phone or my dad's cameras that were just kind of mid, mid-tier, low-level cameras. And so I bought a professional camera in my senior year of college, and that really kind of uh, catapulted me into the, the world of content creation and media. Yep. So I had an underlying passion for that as well as storytelling. You know, I, I've, I've written several articles. I have several videos of myself talking about things that I'm passionate about. So in a way, I, I guess it was kind of in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have an aunt who's a broadcaster in Sudan, uh-huh. a radio broadcaster. So it was kind of part of my DNA, but it was never really something that I had explored until I started to do it. So I, I definitely didn't expect that I would be working in the media and entertainment world, but I knew that I wanted to do something completely different because everybody around me at Ohio State was going to work for, you know, one of the big four, the right. like KPMG, PwC, EY. Right. And so that's what I ended up doing. It was either that or investment banking or work for some, some corporation in their in-house finance field. Yep. And I just... You know, I went to go work as a financial services advisor on Wall Street in New York, work with hedge funds, investment banks, commercial banks, all that. And I just didn't love it. I, I felt like I was missing that part of who I am, which is mission driven. Mm-hmm. How can I go do something that's impacting the world for people that look like me, that are people that are, have gone through challenges and experiences that I, I have gone through. And so um, I pivoted to the tech world and had a little more time to start working in the media space and kind of things kind of took, took off from there. Yeah. A common theme of people who I've spoken to is that going into the sports world in particular has kind of been a passion project of sorts where they work at a quote unquote regular job for a while, then realize it isn't exactly what they want. And then feel like that can kind of be a medium into doing some bigger things for the world and using that power of sport. Yeah. I think college does a good job of giving us the, the guardrails to learn how to be adults. Number one, two, the, to learn how to solve problems and to learn how to be organized, yeah. to build a community, to network and, and to just learn as much as we possibly can. I think the expectation for a lot of folks is that you go to college, you leave having some sort of career that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Right. Um, or, or you're going to find your passion and you're going to stick to that. And I think that's a, a common misconception that a lot of folks fall into. And I think it's okay, you know, to not know what you want to do. It's okay to take your time to transition. It's okay to learn something new or to get your reps in until you feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh, everybody has different levels of risk, risk tolerance. And so we can all do different things based on the priorities that we have in our lives. Yeah. And then, so moving on to what you're doing now, can you explain how you met Harrison and Danny and how Inside the Green Room really came to be? I met Harrison, who's the co-host of our show, Harrison Sanford. He's a journalist, and he was working as a journalist and reporter in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. I met him when I was still at Ohio State, and so he was working for Spectrum Sportsnet, and unfortunately, he got laid off from his job. 
Um, and, and, you know, he and I became really good friends. We stayed in touch and eventually I moved to New York City. And when I moved to New York City, he, he saw some of the creative work that I had been doing and he just reached out and, 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 you know, he and I teamed up and he came up with the idea to put together Danny's show. He knows Danny because they are both from Long Island right. um, and they had kind of a mutual best friend and Harrison was also a writer covering the best players in Long Island. Mm-hmm. So they had that relationship. And so I met Danny uh, when we recorded the first episode and from there, the, the three of us uh, built, built something obviously, which was fun. Um, but we started off as an audio podcast, moved to audio video, started doing live events. And now it's audio video live events. We obviously have our social media presence as well as um, apparel and, and our, our, our shows now on TV as well on Spectrum okay. Sportsnet. So the same yeah. station that laid Harrison off mm-hmm. actually <laughs> a media partner years later. That's a nice, that's a nice extra ring to that. Um, I'm curious how the show has changed going from San Antonio kind of small market team and, but you know, obviously like the epitome of success in the NBA and going to Toronto and having a whole country on your back, winning the championship. And then finally, you know, currently playing with LeBron and then the brightest of lights in the world, how that geographic change has kind of shifted the scope of the show. You know, we, we started the show um, episode one actually was about the announcement that Danny and Kawhi were being traded to 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 Toronto. And so we really started the show with with the Toronto and San Antonio fan base because all those folks just loved Danny and they supported him. And yeah. so we had the, the Toronto fan base, we had the San Antonio Spurs fan base, we had the University of North Carolina fan base. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of different folks and, and uh, I guess avenues of, of fan bases that kind of collectively drew into one. But I, I, I will definitely say that because of the culture of the San Antonio Spurs, I don't know that the – success of the show would be what it is now because mm-hmm. Danny, you know, was part of an organization that traditionally is pretty reserved, pretty uh, polished in terms of they tell their players what they can and can't say. Yeah. And, and those guys at the Spurs are just a little bit more reserved anyway, at least when it came to the media, obviously right. on closed doors, they're a lot, a lot of fun. Right. Uh, and so going to a place like Toronto gave Danny an opportunity to be in the, the, the limelight with one country supporting Mm -hmm. its only team Mm -hmm. and so that obviously catapulted our success and gave us a chance to to really branch out and build something that we could be proud of yeah and i appreciate you bringing up that north carolina fan base because although i go to michigan now i grew up unc basketball fan my grandpa went there and i was following that 09 title run that he was a part of for the whole way through so i did appreciate seeing that and i'm just curious on a personal side did you and harrison move from place to place to place with danny is you're you're in la today is that because of the show moving or is that just kind of happened to work out like that? You know, for me, it kind of happened to be a combination of things. Yeah. I moved to New York originally on my own. Um, and, you know, it was a dream of mine when I lived in Saudi Arabia as a kid to mm-hmm. live in New York City. So it was a dream come true. I lived in uh, East Village. Obviously, you're, you're a New Yorker. You, you understand how, yep. how cool and significant mm-hmm. that is. And so then, you know, a couple of years passed and I had spent my last year in New York. I split my time between Toronto and New York. And that was primarily because of our show. Yeah. And then, I, you know, I was on like 100 flights last year. And wow. Was, uh-huh. it was nuts, but it was awesome. It was yeah. fun, but it was exhausting. And so I, I also work for a tech company called Ingo Live that's based out of San Francisco. Yeah. And so I have a lot of clients that are based out here on the West Coast. Yeah. And so when Danny got picked up by the Lakers, I had already been thinking about moving to L.A. I, I've been wanting to move out here. One of my, one of my best friends is out here. Um, and so... I don't know. I felt like it was the right opportunity to be closer to my clients as well as 
um, be here on the ground building the show and, and also kind of networking and meeting people in the media and entertainment space because that is something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And a real quick one. Do you have an opinion on the New York versus L.A. beef of which you like more thus far? I think they're too different. It's, it's like comparing um, do you like the, the ocean versus do right. you like going skiing or snowboarding? Right. That's very fair. Yeah. You want one for different – you like them for different reasons. Yeah. But I've, I, I will say New York City is the greatest city in the world. Um, hard to argue with that. I've been <laughs> to lots of places in my life, fortunately. And I think New York City is definitely my favorite place. But yeah. LA, LA is a pretty dope place to be, especially right now in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, I can definitely see myself ending up there at some point, ideally. But fingers crossed. Sure. So on a day-to-day basis, can you tell me what your job as the producer of the show looks like? Oh, man, I got a lot, I got a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, I manage communication between uh, you know, myself, Danny, and Harrison, but also to media outlets that reach out to us that either want to use some footage from our show yep. or um, you know, want to, to invite us to do something in collaboration with their shows. I manage all of our sponsorship and communications um, <clears throat> between Harrison and myself. We kind of split up the uh, social media responsibilities. Yep. We recently got another guy who's helping us out, Raphael, and he's been dope as well. Um, let me think. Oh, I, I sometimes I go out and I network with guys or, or women or whoever potential guests, celebrities that we want to get on the show. Yeah. Um, obviously, I spend a lot of time working with our producer our audio producer to get the content ready to go and, and upload it to all the different places that it lives. There's, there's so many things. Um, I, I do all of our taxes. I do our, uh, all of our paperwork <laughs> nice. business. So I'm, I'm the CEO of the business. Yeah. Uh, so those are all a bunch of different responsibilities that I have. <laughs> yeah. And talking, uh, touching on a bunch of those business deals, the sponsorships and the partnerships that you mentioned, things like Spectrum, Yahoo Sports, Jack in the Box. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you kind of do the outreach for? They've come in or it's a different changes that you want or how does that work? So the Jack in the Box deal was something that um, I reached out to the Jack in the Box team about. And, uh, you know, we worked with their digital agency to create a partnership between us and them. Yeah. It was an extensive process, but it was one that, you know, I kind of learned a lot from along the way. Uh, but the Spectrum Sportsnet relationship, again, another one that myself and Harrison kind of created. We reached nice. out to them and, and talked to them about wanting to partner with them. Yahoo Sports Canada was our first partner and mm-hmm. our first amazing partner. And they gave us an opportunity to introduce video to our show, um, as well as improve the quality of our audio. Because myself and Harrison were editing, editing it, and that is not our expertise. So mm-hmm. we were not producing the best quality content and they helped us really elevate our game. Um, yeah. But they actually reached out to us after a few episodes and they wanted to partner with us right away. Yeah, I think that's a nice lesson because a lot of people feel like, you know, once you're working with a star like that, you've made it and, you know, if money was come flowing in. And of course, you know, it can obviously be successful on your own, right? But it doesn't mean the work stops and you still got to reach out. And that has been another common theme of the guests that I've heard. Yeah, I think too often we allow ourselves to be limited by obstacles that we can overcome pretty easily. Right. right? I think there are a lot of solutions to getting around the, the most detailed problems. But sometimes we get bogged down by the, the fact that a problem even exists that we allow it to prevent us from making progress. Yeah. Not knowing progress is what it takes to learn, to grow and to develop and to, to create something that you can truly be proud of at the end of the day. So I think, I think you know, for young creators or for creators in general, getting started and getting going is one of the most important things you can do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then with regards to the bubble and COVID as a whole, 
what was your initial reaction? I mean, with regards to the show in particular, I'd say when you found out that the NBA was all going to be in one bubble, do you kind of view it as an opportunity? Obviously it has its hardships, but you know, everyone in the same space and maybe not necessarily needing to get somebody into a studio like you're before with COVID bubble. What are your thoughts on that? In my eyes, obviously the pandemic is, is a difficult right. challenge for all of us, right? Obviously a lot of us have lost loved ones. A lot of us are, uh, have, have family members that are still going through um, pain and, 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 you know, sickness because of it. And so my, my thoughts and sympathy are with everyone that's been lost and yeah. everyone that's experiencing hardship because of it. And so luckily for me, I feel grateful and, and fortunate that I had been building something along the way so that I can still have my career at my company as well as this. And so I saw it as an opportunity to transition rather than having to go to the studio since that was now not an option. Yeah. Uh, I told the guys, I said, hey, we're going to pivot and we're going to use Zoom to shoot our show. Mm-hmm. And obviously we found ways to make it so that the, the content is high quality. But I think having that, that impetus to make a change like that, right. Rather than thinking, ah, damn, I don't know if we're going to be able to continue doing the show because we can't go into the studio. We said, you know what? No, forget it. We're going to make it work. We're going to do what we can to still put out high quality content. And I went back to our sponsor, Jack in the box. And I said, Hey, here's what we're going to be doing. Here's mm-hmm. how we're going to be doing it. Here's what it's going to look like are you on board? Right. And for them, they, they saw it as an opportunity to say, you know what, this is an unprecedented time. This is an unprecedented solution. Let's go ahead and see what happens. And I think both sides have been really happy. Yeah. And sticking with the hardships of present time a bit, um, you guys have not at all shied away from using your platform to spread various messages of social action, social awareness. And I've noticed that and I appreciate that. So good job. Thank you. And kudos to you for doing that. Appreciate that. Appreciate is that. that something that you guys have talked about and like made a conscious effort to kind of include into shows or it's kind of just naturally been the flow of conversation that comes up with your various guests? You know, there's a few things that um, we all agree from the very beginning that we want to make sure we use our platform to do. One of yeah. them is to address issues that affect people that look like myself, Danny and Harrison, three yeah. black men who run this business and mm-hmm. run the show. And so that was one of the, the, the first and foremost uh, important things. And not just black men, but black women and black people all over the world. Yeah. And so that was a huge focus for us and something that we intentionally tried to, to use our platform to discuss not just in one episode, but through every episode. And you right. can obviously see that Danny's continuing to do that through his press conferences and, and, and media scrums and any interviews that he does. Other than that, we also focus on doing our best to try to empower uh, female voices. We think mm-hmm. that oftentimes a lot of women don't get the opportunity to have you know, platforms like this to be able to discuss the things that are important to them. And unfortunately, their voices are oftentimes uh, ignored or not even heard. And so that's something that we've done our best to try to try to include more female voices and something that is a priority for us and something that we're going to continue to, to, to get better at. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we want to talk about issues that matter to us as, as people and as a society. I think for us, we see that when you have a platform and you have a fan base and folks that are listening, it's your responsibility to be very, very precise with the words that you choose to say because it can influence people and inspire people and you can motivate people to make true change that can lead us to a much better place in the world. Right. I think athletes have such an important voice and like a level of relatability to kids in particular that most people don't, whether it's DeMar DeRozan talking about mental health or everyone speaking up about Black Lives Matter as they have. It's a really, really special choice. And I'm glad that people are able to kind of use their voice to you know, make a change. Again, yeah. thank you guys for doing that. For sure. For sure. You know, it's, it's like this podcast here, right? You reach a very different demographic than, than I do. Mm-hmm. And so for me to be here and to say that Black Lives Matter is not a moment, but a movement and, and to use my voice to, to get to people that otherwise wouldn't 
hear my voice, right? I think yeah. that's the importance of doing uh, other people's shows and, and the importance of also having dialogue with people that look different from me. Mm-hmm. If I spend all my time talking to other black folks, we're, we're limiting ourselves because we don't live in this world alone. Right. We, we share this world as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a humanity. And it's our responsibility to have conversations when things aren't fair and equitable for all of us. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And then I'll ask a couple of questions before I let you go. Sure. Number one, I heard a story that you heard Kawhi's infamous laugh a couple minutes before it actually blew up on the internet. Can you please quickly share that story? Yeah, that was, that was a funny moment. You know, we were uh, at media day with the Raptors and it was a funny day because it was my first media day, right? I, I had never had an experience like that before. And yeah. obviously I'd met the guys a couple of times here and there from the Raptor squad, but that was my first time really getting to interact with a lot of them that day. And so their team is pretty young and they're, they're kind of a, a fun group to be around. And so after one of the different shoots that they have going on that day, me, Danny and Kawhi were walking down the hallway as they were getting ready to do their press conference. Um, I was, I was kind of accompanying them from station to station mm-hmm. and me, Danny and Harris, me, Danny and Kawhi are walking down the, the, the hallway and we start talking and we're just shooting the shit, talking about random stuff. And the guys are just kind of catching up because obviously they know each other. Right. And so Danny realizes that I'm there too. And he's like, yo, Jed, he's like, you wanted to ask Kawhi something, didn't you? And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So I was like, Kawhi, what are the chances we can get you on the show? And he was like, you can't afford me. Ha, 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 you know, infamous Kawhi laugh. And so that was a, a, a really funny moment. And obviously he walked out into the stage, to the podium, where him and Danny had their welcoming press conference. And I was standing off to the side, just watching and listening. And the minute he did the laugh on, on TV, you know, it was, it was a hilarious moment for everyone in the world. And for me, I just stood there thinking to myself, like, wow, I just heard this That's so <laughs> that funny. 10 minutes ago. <laughs> That blew up like nothing else. It was unbelievable. (laughs) Number two, sorry. uh, Sticking with your time in Toronto, I heard on a different interview they did that you said that you're a big Drake fan. I'm curious if you ever ran into Drake during your time when Danny was in the Raptors. I love Drake. I think he's he's a seems to be a phenomenal human being. From what I know, obviously he's doing a lot for the community, but is is clearly changing the game in terms of being one of the best rappers to ever do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have a chance to meet Drake. I've met Drake several times actually, so. I feel lucky that I had that experience. And a friend of mine asked me the other day, who's one of the coolest people that I met? And I don't know how I left that out. Right. <laughs> I mentioned Scotty, which was really dope. But Drake, meeting Drake was actually pretty cool too. Do you have a favorite Drake album? I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry for that. Favorite Drake album? Ah, oh, man. It depends, right? Take Care is probably like in my, if, if when I'm in my feelings. That's my pick as well. But uh, I, I do really like Nothing Was The Same. I think that that was pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Views also came out when I was in Europe mm-hmm. for a little bit of time. So mm-hmm. I really like that a lot too. Yeah. No, take care. Nothing with the same. Definitely classics. And then oh, yeah. lastly, uh, for someone in my shoes who wants to work either with an athlete or in the media world, anything like that in a creative space, any piece of advice or words of wisdom or anything like that for us to get sure. there. Like anything in life, you know, when you are trying to approach someone, everybody's time is limited, right? You have to uh, think about what value you bring into other people's lives. And so if you see that someone, for example, uh, like take, take JaVel McGee, let's say that you wanted to work with JaVel, right? Mm-hmm. JaVel has a media director, a good friend of mine, Devin. Devin is the one responsible for doing all the editing for the vlog. He's the one responsible for doing all the work to basically put content out. Yeah. If I'm you, I would go to Devin and say, hey, Devin, I know that you're the only one doing all of this work. I'll, I, I will gladly come in and help you edit 
social clips and cut downs to put on social media and I'll create a new page for JaVel so that he can have added reach through this new page yeah. that is only for his social media content. And here is here are a few examples of videos that I cut down. Feel free to use them if you like them, right? See, now you showed up and you added value to Devin's life. And and obviously your goal is to continue working and, and supporting Javel. And so by supporting Devin, you're supporting Javel. Right. Right. And boom, now Devin, uh, as he's reading his hundreds of, of DMs and emails and messages, he's going to look at your message and say, oh, this guy really sent me a couple of clips already. I right. can see how I can already leverage yeah. Adam's expertise to allow me to continue to focus on some other things. So approach that, approach anything in life with that same mentality. And I guarantee you, you will always be successful. Devin may come back and say, oh, I already have someone taking care of it. But right. who knows? Maybe you can reach out to Matisse, right? Matisse has his own new show now. And mm -hmm. he does, I think, all of that editing on his own. Yeah. You could be the one to put together clips and say, hey, what do you think about this, right? Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. And I think people too often kind of want like like we said earlier things handed to them and feel like it's going to come but you really need to make that extra effort and go that extra mile and i think that's valuable advice for anything in life absolutely absolutely thank you very much for coming on i really appreciate it and had a lot of fun talking to you thank you thank you same here man thanks for having me have a good one you too bye, -bye. thank you again amjad for coming on to the show i really did enjoy our conversation so thank you again for coming on and my biggest takeaway from this episode is that you always need to keep moving forward and looking for a new opportunity and it really never helps to be stagnant. So what I mean by that is Amjad had a great job on Wall Street working for EY and then he wanted something different with his life. He said that he was looking for more of that inspiration that he didn't really feel like he had. And then this opportunity came up with Danny to take pictures for this new up and coming podcast. And then he didn't stop there. When he was asked to take pictures, he said, what more can I do? How else can I be of assistance? And then that ended up catapulting him into this producer role. And then once he became the producer, again, he could have stopped there. He was producing a show for an NBA player, which would honestly be the dream of many. But then he turned it from an audio podcast into a visual podcast, got it a spot on TV, started doing live events, got corporate sponsorships, and just kept growing and growing and growing. And he never settled for average and just wanted to keep moving on. And I think that that's a lesson that can be applied to essentially anything in life, anything in the business world, whether it's looking for a job in sports or whatever it may be. And I think that Amjad is the personification of this keep moving forward attitude. And I really appreciated hearing that and think that that's a message that can apply pretty much anywhere. So I hope that that was a nice takeaway for you guys on this episode. And I'll be back soon with more great content. Peace out.